Hello, I'm Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company. He's Luke Morris and... Uh, I'm standing next to a box of Wild Duck Creek, but it's got like heaps of different wines in it. I collect wine. And together, we are Luke's Talk Wine. We talk about all things wine and booze and popular culture. Think when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. What's going on, mate? Well, we're back. We're back. This It's all happening, really. This is Luke's Talk Wine, episode 13, season 2, and have we got an episode for you. This this week's topic, actually, is how much is my cellar worth? It's, it's very pertinent you said you collect wine, Luke, so we'll be asking, we'll be deep diving in that, actually. Cool. And listener question of the week, Rob from Caulfield says, how do I visit a cellar door and what can I get out of it? So I guess what his question is really is sell it about cellar door etiquette, and which is quite pertinent as well, actually, with people visiting regional areas. So two topics today, how much is your cellar worth and how to visit a cellar door. Rob, we'll touch on that later in the episode. But hey, good afternoon, good evening, good night to the listening audience. <laughs> but absolutely, as um, always, we start the episode with... Luke Morris, what has been happening in your wine world this week, pal? Why are you saying goodnight to people so early on in the show? We want them to listen through. But they might be listening at the night time. They might be listening in the morning time. They might be listening in the afternoon. Yeah, but that, yeah, well, yeah, they could be. But I don't know if you ever say goodnight to someone and then be like, okay, let's get started. Good night, everybody. Time to begin. No. You say good morning. You say good morning. You just oh, so you're just wishing people in general good night. You're being the oldie. Maybe you're just saying good nights, as in uh, medieval times. Anyway, That's it. Hmm. Uh, we hope you have good nights and not those bad nights who won't let you cross bridges. None shall pass. Um, what's the what's been happening? Oh, do you, so we talked last week about the idea of doing a hottest one hundred wines. Mm. I think what we need to do at some point is. Um, decide on a date so we have a yep. goal of when we of when we um do it but um yeah we'll just start pulling together wine names just wines just wines that we people like wines that we know wines that get submitted i'll create a a sheet that um we can share with you know distributors and wineries and audience members and you know, get the word out about Luke's Talk Wine and the hottest 100 wines of the year. Yep. And um, then I'll start doing what I enjoy and making spreadsheets. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so we, we should count them down, like, towards the end of the year. That was uh, the original um, topic of conversation, was it not? No, oh, yeah. No, I, was, I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't. I don't know if we really put a thumb on... Um, how we're going to do it or when we're going to do it. I think we were just trying to formulate if it made any sense of how. Of, of, um, well, it does make sense, but yeah. just the wine without the without the vintage. Yep. The top 100 wines uh, yep. we've been enjoying or you've been enjoying, send them through to lukestalkwine at gmail.com and we'll add yep. them to the list. Um, yeah, so we'll create a list first of all and then we'll yep. create a poll. So maybe some people will just wait for the poll and we'll... Um, We'll do it. We'll do it that way. I'll work out how to do it. But yeah, yeah okay. 
Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. Let's do it. Hey, what, what about... Um what about your last cellar door experience, Luke Morris? Would, uh, have you visited a cellar door lately? No, I haven't. I used to work cellar door for um, oh. uh, winery and other places. I've, I've done a lot of I was going to say, you, you and I, not only have, have we worked together in the past, we both have worked cellar door. So this is a great yeah. question, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mo- most you most of, cellar uh, doors, yeah. What do you think of buses? Tour groups <laughs> by appointment only. <laughs> Even then, <laughs> Even then, it's incredibly difficult to service everybody's wants and needs as a cellar door staff member. It is. It's they're, they're a bloody nightmare because most cellar doors, like I, I don't know how yours was, but uh, I was a s- small. Small winery. I was the only person who worked cellar door, and then all of a sudden, twenty people turn up, and they all want to be served at the same time. And you know, three different, three or different people are asking you different questions, and you're just like, "What's going on?" And so, oh, then then they leave a mess, and you're trying to, you know, and you then you've got, and they never buy anything, and then you've got other people who are like just there, like normal people, just on their nice day out who tend to buy cases of wine with them. And it's like, oh, bus groups. Oh, why do they do it? I think it's an important point you raise. Like, do, do you have to book at a cellar door? Well, yes yes, and no. While, while most cellar doors are really happy to have, you know, up to four or six people just turn up unannounced, it's those bus groups that make it unpleasant for you know everybody else so i always recommend you know just just checking beforehand particularly you know if large groups do require a booking and just you know if you are visiting the cell door and you in are are in a large group just remember what you're doing you know it's a large group influxing on a small situation so if you're looking for a premium tasting or whatever you're obviously not going to do that in a large group but you might want to book in advance to get that special uh intimate booking uh, yeah. rather than the large group and, and it's kind of the fear you know, of the large groups is that they're just um uh, it's like a pub call they're just on a winery call and there's just yes. going around to each place getting a free drink instead of going to a, a, a pub where you have to pay for your beers they go and get a, a, a free tastings of everything and then just leave and it's like we, we don't want you there you're not you're not contributing this isn't tourism this is Business uh, exploitation. You know. it, it, it's, a, it's a good point you write. You you, uh, you raise actually, Luke Morris. Are tastings free at a cellar door? Well, we did them for free, but then um, I, I remember that they started. If any group came in, large group came in, you start charging them. You've probably seen it. A lot of places now do. It's fifteen dollars for the tasting, but you get that fifteen dollars back if you buy something. Yes, redeemable off your purchase. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of think that's fair. In the old days, and I'm talking, you know, two decades ago when I did it, 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 that the wines you poured through cellar door 
or a tax deductible, uh, like, but that, that's gone the way of the dodo now as well. That, those no, educational exactly. wines or, um, you know, they're, they're all cost of business. Yeah, well, the, the wine maker, though. That? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. There used, there used to be a special category, you know, like, but nowadays, I, I don't think, I don't think, I, there wouldn't be a tax. I don't think there is. A, I'm, actually, I'm certain there isn't a tax kickback. You've got to. You know, there's a certain amount of wastage, but the winemaker, he or she, would foot the bill for that. Ah, that's so hard. Mm. So hard on the small producers out there. It is. So, yeah, are, are they free? Nothing's free, ladies and gentlemen. Just remember that. So, yeah, if you if you buy something, awesome, uh, but just be mindful of that. You know, most cellar doors, they do offer free tastings, but... Be, be aware that it's probably if they are charging it's for good reason and it's redeemable off your purchase so you know just put some money back in um and and then beyond that like how do you decide when i go to a when i go to a cellar door how do you decide what wines to taste so if you go into i don't know if you go into oak ridge in the yarra valley for instance so they have 30 skews 30 different wines how do i decide what to taste like um, uh, well, I usually try and taste the stuff that you wouldn't normally get a chance to try or not get a chance to try that because if they've got 30 SKUs, sometimes the SKUs, we're, we're such industry salespeople. We're talking Sorry. about SKUs. Um, if Sorry. they've got 30, 30 wines, this is that, um, and they might do the thing where it's like, oh, you get to try five wines for $10 or something. Um, rather than have you pour through the whole thing, you, I, you, most you've probably seen it. Like uh, Dianberg, they do things where it's like you get to do this flight, this flight, or this flight, and yeah. they sort of choose what you do. Or um, who else does? Um, I'm trying to think of somebody else as an example. But what I would do would choose the stuff that I wouldn't have bought a bottle of. Yeah. Like, um, just sort of guessing. Like, um, where did I go? I think Liftbridge, down. Um, oh yeah, down in the uh, Bellarine Peninsula. There, just yeah, like the Bellarine Peninsula. Yeah, yeah. Um, they had. They said, "Oh, you get to try three wines." And I looked at them and said, "Well, I've, I've had your Pinot and I've had your Chardonnay before, but I've never had this other thing that's turned out to be a, a Gamay blend," and. So I tried that, and that was a, the, my favourite wine because it was, you know, unique. But I probably wouldn't have bought the bottle of it because, you know, you don't buy a bottle or something you're a little bit afraid of. Well, we yeah. might, you and I might, but most people wouldn't. So try try the odd things, and I found that working cellar door because we did a lot of Tempranillo where I was working. Like that would be the grape that people would try and skip. And, and they'll try and just have the Shiraz and the Cabernet. And I'll be like, no, no, try the Tempanillo. And then they taste it and they go, oh, that's actually really good. It's like, yeah. Mm. That's the hardest part of selling that is to get people to taste it. Mm. So using cellar door as a way to educate yourself on those unique things that you don't find elsewhere is one of the, the benefits of going to cellar door. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And if in doubt... Shout out, right? Ask the staff. They'll be able to point you in the right, in the right direction. 
they'll also be able to point you in the, as you just said, you work with Tempranillo and people want to try the Shiraz and Cabernet. You pointed them in the right direction. It's best to start with those styles, the specialities of, of the region or the, the principal winery. It, you know, it's also, you know, work, work lightest to heaviest. Mm. Um, and, yeah, just be guided by the staff. You know, the, the, the staff are the ones that are in the know. And if, they're, if the staff are conversationalists and they're, you know, up for the experience, you know, they might also have something hidden under the, the bench or they might have a little bit of something special, something aged to splash around. Uh, yeah. So get are you talking about stuff. times like if you go to, um, I'm thinking of uh, Sebbles Field or even to Bilk. Yeah. Um, and if you're not a complete jerk and you're actually interested in what you're tasting and, you know, you might be just, you know, making some nice comments, they might say, I've actually got, you know, an 82 power underneath the bench. Do you want to try that as well? And that might not even be for sale, but they might just have something aside for people who are actually legitimately interested in learning and trying wine. And so they they pull something extra out for you. Yeah. And they're the, they're the, those special experiences, you know. Like you really, you know, that's that's, and they're probably well, that's one of the reasons you go to the the cellar door. Like the other reason yep. would be you often get to meet the people behind the label. You yep. often get to meet not only the staff but the winemakers or the vineyards. They're often the ones in the cellar door serving yep. you. Um, you know, m- most cellar doors are open all year round, but check the opening times before you go, like excluding the likes of, you know, like Lakes Folly in the Hunter or Rockford in the Barossa who, you know, they're closed for a certain amount of year because they just don't have any wine. Um, most producers are open all year round. Just, you know, ring ahead and check you know, if they're open. But during certain times of the year, yeah. um, you'll be able to, you know, see either the vintage or see, catch up with what's happening in the vineyard. Uh, it's any time's a great time to visit a cellar door, I always say, like because you get to know the story behind the wine and meet the people behind the label. There's, not, there's nothing worse. How do you worse. choose who you yeah. want to go and see? Oh, it's, it's a great call. I, I, um, I guess because we're in the industry and we use it, as a tasting experience or as an educational experience, Luke, I, I always, a bit like choosing the wine, I, I like choosing a cellar door that's got a story behind it. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, I mentioned Lakes Folly. I mean, that's probably one out. But, you know, in, in the Yarra, uh, Max For- Matt Forbes' tasting experience, which is now at his winery, is, you know, just exquisite. Like the tasting experience that you get at George and Ruth Mahaley's down at Paradigm Hill is second to none. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, know, do, do you choose – so do you choose the wine winery and then just go to the winery or do you choose a region and then go see what's in the region? It's a great point. It's still today, I think, that winery tourism, I think people are picking the region, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So that's why I was thinking, how do you go about, do, like, I might be thinking, um, let me, well, I looked in, at, the, at, the, at, the, at, at the Wild Duck Creek box, so let's use Wild Duck Creek as, as the example. Sure. If um, I really like Wild Duck Creek wines, and I might 
think, I wonder what our snoop got, and I wonder what it's like to go to be there. If I'm really interested in the mines, you know, it's, it could be the danger of meeting your your idols, and then you get there and yes. you go, ah, I got attacked by the dog. I don't think the do they have a dog? I'm not sure, but no, they have a cat. They have a cat. <laughs> So winery cats. We should do an episode about winery <laughs> pets. You know that. Because most wineries have dogs, but I've not heard too many winery cats before. Yeah. Someone's got to keep the mouse mice plate under, under, under wraps. I suppose so. I didn't know. Some people tell me that mice uh, cats aren't that good at keeping mice away. Anyway, um, let's go <laughs> back to the let's go back to the story of. Um, so, would you choose if you were really into um, Wild Duck Creek? Would you be thinking I've got to go to that winery and check out what their what their whole story is, or would you be thinking, "Gee, this this winery is in Heathcote. I wonder what else is in Heathcote." And would you? Then just go to Heathcote and check out the region. What's what's do you find more beneficial? Yeah, I'm probably the latter because, um, as well as learning the story about Wild Duck Creek, yeah, I would love to see what else is around it. And you know, like Heathcote's a, a really great great example because you know it, it, it's a country town, sure, but it's actually some premium wine producing you know country, effectively. So. There is quite a lot um, around it when you really lift up the bonnet and have a poke around. You know, that's you... the amazing thing when you go do a a, a solid or tour. When you go to if you go to Heathcote, like I, I imagine when I went to the Bellarmine and went, went to Leftbridge, I didn't know Leftbridge had a thing there, but was just driving along and thinking, let's go to some wineries. And my friend said, let's go to these couple of places, and I wasn't really impressed. But we were driving along and we saw Lethbridge and I was like, oh, let's go there. And then we were like, wow, this is a really nice setup. These are really good wines, blah, blah, blah. And but Le- you Lethbridge shares with Providence, and they're, they're in an old bakery or an old sawmill. I've been to Lethbridge, I think. It's, um, it's I, in a big stone building, isn't it? Uh, and the one I'm into, I know, is a, is a, is like an offshoot cellar door where they've got a, a little vineyard nearby and okay. it's it's in like... Some some cellar doors, some some wine regions are in, um, uh, like clustered together. Yep. I don't know if you, it's it's a bit like um, the cigar strip on uh, in Coonawarra, where you could you know walk across the street to another cellar door, whereas yeah, in somewhere like Bendigo, you're definitely driving between them. Um, yes. But anyway, back back to back to the point. Um. Just going around the region, you you can see something and Absolutely. go, I wonder what that is. And then you might find your next idol or you might not, but it's the excitement of going around and seeing something new. And uncovering that next story or your, yeah. your, your next love, as it may be, as you say, your idol. Yeah. And that they might be the wineries that you know normally sell out, and you you can never find elsewhere unless you actually went there. You know, you might yeah. come across Jasper Hill, which you might not know of unless you they were open that day or something. It's a very good point, actually. And so, when you rock up, you've decided what you've made your booking or or not, or found out if they've opened. You've decided what you've tasted, what to taste. Yeah. You've weighed up if it costs or if it doesn't. You've chosen your reason. 
region. And then it comes down to the tasting and the spin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to talk about the tasting part or the spinning part? Um, I'll talk about the spinning. You talk about the tasting. (laughs) All right. Um, The thing I found hard with uh, running a salad or with the tasting part was like the expectation that someone's supposed to say something. Like they go, mm, yeah, it's very mm, smooth. And I, I start, so yeah, okay, you don't have to tell me this stuff. Like, you don't, like I know what the wine tastes like. You, you're tasting the wine, it's fine. I just, I just always filled in the gaps with what I believed, like my tasting experience of the wines were, rather than expected, you know, someone who's just going around enjoying their day doesn't have to be, you know, was it Jeremy Oliver or James mm. Halliday or Hewan Hook or um, uh, Jane Faulkner? You know, Jenny Port. You don't have to wax lyrical. You can just, I don't know. What do you talk about? What do you talk about if you don't want to give feedback on the wine to someone who you think works in the business? Oh, <laughs> I, I, I think the, the the word there, and you use it. it it's expectation. The, 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 the onus on the consumer is, oh, okay, I've just swigged this glass down. I've got to say something now. Like, in, in fact, you don't because, as you also so eloquently mentioned, Luke, the person serving the wine knows the wine. So there, there isn't any expectation, actually, that, that the onus is entirely on the consumer. So whether you say something or not, but they, they feel like, oh, it's it's like if you give if someone's giving you a gift, whether you like it or not, you go, "Gee, thanks for the gift." Oh, I know. Yeah, still say something. So it's the I same. If someone's giving you, yes, that's right. So you know how it goes. So when, when you how do, how do you taste the wine? So you, you're tasting, and it's like, oh, sh-, and the, the 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 words go up to the neurons in the brain. Oh, I've got to spit some word out now. I've swallowed the wine, like. It's you. You really don't. You can just contemplate it internally if you like. Yeah. Um, there's no. You, you don't have to give the cellar door staff pointers because <laughs> they're more than likely going to know the wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that really strange because it's it's really hard because very rarely someone would come along and say something that was like I'd never heard before, and you know, and I just don't know. Like it's like well. I'm not going to say you're wrong about how you taste something because it's your experience, it's your tasting, that's fine. But I've just had, you know, 9,900 people come through who would all disagree with what you're telling me and I feel like I have to sort of not tell you you're wrong because that's... (laughs) I don't know how to manage it. But it's... I'm just trying to think... In a in a big in a big room where you can taste a wine and walk off and look out the window or something with some friends, gaze longingly. Yeah, and the waiting staff isn't just standing there by themselves because they've got other people to deal with. I suppose that's fun, but when you've got um, it's just a one to one interaction. Oh, it's a bit weird. I, I was always a big one. Like whilst they were tasting, I was always a big one of asking what. What did they want to know? Like, did they want to know who the winemaker was? Yeah. Did they want to know how, you know, so so not that you would fill that awkward space, but rather than waiting or 
expecting someone to say something about the wine, which, like yourself, I kind of never did. It, I, I would ask them what they wanted to know, like short yep. of telling them because I, I wanted to tell them the right things. Uh, so I would always ask. But it, it's funny. I'm glad you pointed up because, yeah, there is that consumer expectation that, oh, you must say something on the wine. No, not you don't have to at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could, then, if, you, if you don't want to talk about what the wine tastes like, you can just say something like, where's the vineyard? Or yeah. who's, what, whose dog is this? <laughs> or, you know, what where's good to eat around here? And I think that's fine. <laughs> I agree. Good questions. Hey, but this is the big one, right? So the, the, the spittoon. I want to talk about the spittoon. So once you've swirled and you've sipped and you've gazed longingly at the vineyard, is, is it rude and, you know, nine times out of ten someone makes a joke about the spittoon? But... <laughs> It's not rude to spit the wine out, nor no. does it mean that you hate the wine. No. Once you've sw- swirled and sipped, the spittoon is there to, to, to use, but a lot of people are afraid or or conversely use it incorrectly, don't they, Luke? Uh, I've never seen someone use it incorrectly. How do you how, how does someone use a spittoon incorrectly? You mean oh, drink they from spit it and it dribbles down it. the side or it spits oh. all over the floor or... People are oh, but they try and stand on the other side of the room and do one of those arcing spits into the spittoon. And it's, That's right. It goes, and it's like, yeah. come on, man. You know, no. if, if, if you're, don't do that. If, no, don't That's do that. That's bad etiquette. That is bad etiquette. <laughs> but it is, the spittoons are there to be used. So winemakers and vineyards don't just s- s- stuck a metal tin in there for aesthetics that's covered in, you know, Speed effectively, they're there because you know they want you to taste as many wines. (laughs) How often did you clean your spittoons? Sorry, I may not have been as diligent with the spittoon as what you were. But the the idea of the the idea for a lot of people, the idea of spitting, the idea of spitting out the wine sounds daunting, does it not? I hope it's not. It's the effort. Um, No, it's okay to spit. I suppose COVID friendly. You got to have your own individual spittoons but mm. no it's, i look i respect people more if they spit because i'm because you know i don't know if you know this but wine has alcohol in it and alcohol uh impacts your cognitive abilities and so if you're spitting you're actually reducing the amount of alcohol you're consuming and therefore you're sort of going to have better recollection and cognitive ability on the wines that you're tasting and that's why we do it in the industry you know, we, we don't we don't drink everything we like, or even like we stuff we like we spit because you've got to you know assess and attain what a what a product tastes like is. So um, particularly if you're driving, that, you know, particularly if you're driving. Particularly if you're driving, I I, I would say that you know the best. You know the 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 A plus 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 people who go to Salador's are the ones who. They all spit, but they plan to drink something at the end of the day, and that's the bottles that they buy or, you know, or, or, or keep. And the, you know, the A, A, A members are the ones who might be have the designated driver who spits, and, um, you know, everyone else has a sensible amount, and then you work your way down. But if people are spinning, you get an A stamp from me. It's fine. Do it. 
Excellent. And then how to spit. So you, you've mentioned the big arcing spit don't in the middle that. of the room. You don't. Know, like, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, you know, so the, the etiquette of the spittoon is to discreetly leave over and spit straight into it. It does feel a little bit weird at first, but you'll soon get the hang of it. So the yeah. spittoon is there to be used. Uh, if it's portable, pick it up and bring it to your mouth and lean in. Yeah, do that. It, it, it is fun to practice at home, um, but, yeah, don't do, don't stand back and do the big arcing spit. It, it is quite an art form, but you use a spittoon. It shouldn't be daunting. Luke's right. Everyone needs to do it, and it isn't rude. So just use the spittoon yeah. Yeah, and, and you, use a little bit of spittoon etiquette, people. I think you use a really my, – my, my thing would be to – take I, I i don't think i'm very good at spinning but that's partly because i have some birth defect and so i take the spittoon hold it underneath my mouth and sort of just let the liquid sort of go out, out with a little bit of force i don't sort of hock anything into my mouth and then spit <laughs> it all into or aim some sort of a funnel sort of diet darting across the room or something like that i you know I make sure that 100% of the thing that's in my mouth goes 100% into the container underneath my mouth. And no one's told me that's wrong yet, so I'm just going to keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and last one on this, because we've got a whole other topic to get to uh, from Rob in Caulfield about his question, what's his seller's worth? Yeah. But And if you want to get in touch with those people, how do they do that, Luke Morris? Oh, well, you, you can get in touch with us by um, the power of positive thinking. Just think, imagine that we're near us and feel, give us a hug and we might be able to feel that mentally. That would be a great way to feel, feel touched and in, involved. Awesome. Or you can also go to your email device and send us something to lukestalkwine at gmail.com. Excellent. Now, what if I don't like a wine? What happens then? Oh, so I've swirled, I've snipped, I've slurped. What's happened? At Cellador, what if I don't yeah. like the wine? Oh, you ask, you know, you ask where the cat is. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you don't like I've, the wine, I've people, just, 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 sim just simply say the wine is not to your taste. You can't possibly like every wine in the world. It would be boring if you did. Everyone has different palates. Everyone has different preferences. There's nothing wrong with saying, yeah. Gee, this simply is not to my taste. Yeah, it's, not for me. It's, it's not for me. Like you know, like don't don't write it off. It's that old adage: never say never. You might come back to it and like it after you've had a piece of cheese, or your palate might change over time. So don't just write it off. But yeah, just just simply say it's not to your taste. Not to your taste now. You know, I'm not enjoying these styles right at the minute. No one will be offended um, because you're doing the you've got your spittoon etiquette up. You've booked your seat at the table. Every, everyone knows what's going on. Um, if you don't like it, just simply say it. it's not to your taste. Right. Yes. <laughs> Moving right along, though, but this is in your wheelhouse um, as much as what it is in my wheelhouse. And this week's question, um, no, no, this week's topic was how much is my seller worth? Wine sellers. Now, this is the foundation of my whole business at vinified.com.au has been built on over the last uh, 12 years, Luke Morris, as you well yeah, know. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, if somebody wants to know how much their seller is worth, they contact Luke Campbell at vinified.com and <laughs> away she goes. I've got, Thank I, you very much. I can't much. really improve on that. 
and that's what uh, we we do do. But you you said at the top of this very episode you were sitting next to boxes of wild duck creek, and you, you've I got a wine collection. I'm not that rich, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got a right wine collection. Is it how much is it is it worth? Or let let me rephrase that: What is it worth to you? I think it's uh, it's worth more than me than it is worth to somebody else. That's why if I find myself in a position to sell wine um, for whatever reason, uh, and and you can probably expand on why people sell wine because you that's within your wheelhouse of what you do. Um, uh, there's there's definitely bottles that I think ah oh, well that's that's only probably worth ten dollars on the secondary market, but to me it's you know. I think it's one of the best wines ever made, so I'll I'll, I'll keep that and drink that myself. Um, there's it's, it's hard to judge how much what a seller is worth. Uh, you can it depends. On the, oh gosh, I'm just thinking. Really, if you've got a if you've got a seller of wine and it's stored well, and you want to know how much it's worth, you can contact an auction house. MW wines are in. Um, Melbourne, Victoria, they're really good. Uh, Langtons have an online um, evaluation calculator, so you can do it yourself. It's a a little bit tricky to use, but you can do it. Um, Sterling Auctions in South Australia have one as well. Yep. Um, And uh, there used to be Kemenides in New South Wales, I think. Yep. Maybe. And Greys, I think, were over in Perth. Um. So there's there's a few ways where you can just type in the wine, including the vintage, and you'll see how much it's worth on a secondary market. Um, most wine is probably worth less than you paid for it. Sorry to tell you that, but that's because there's uh, different uh, pricing. There's Horses. Production production cost, and then there's retail cost, and then there's uh, sales. Sellers costs. Yeah, seller cost and most wine pairs its way back to the retail price cost. Anyway, a wine uh, only, but yeah, a wine. How do you put it? A wine only has a real value to the person or or people who are intending to open and drink it. Really, doesn't it? Like, if we get down to the nitty gritty, typical value of the wine is according to your experience. We were talking about cellar doors earlier. Like the value of that Lethbridge Pinot slash Gamay that you tasted would be higher for you than it would be for me because I've never tasted it, so I have no experience of that wine. So I'm only paying you know thirteen bucks for it, but you're paying twenty seven bucks for it because you know you've had that experience, you've been to the cellar door, you've met Ray, blah blah blah. So and you know you've almost experienced. that wine so the value on it is much much higher but back to the the question that you know what is your seller worth and and luke quite diligently listed a few places you you can also yeah you come to us you know we're obviously wine wine broke so we're we're independent you can look up you can look up your prices but the other the other thing which often comes across me um is what, what do i do if my wine has no pedigree. So Lethbridge Gamay Pinot blend, let's say. So you bought it in $27 and five years down the track, you want to sell it. But in fact, it's never had a sales history. There's oh, yeah. no 
Um, so you can't look up its price because no, Ray only makes two boxes of it and, you, you know, there's <laughs> yeah, 30, 30, 30 bottles out there. So no one's ever sold it. Most people have drunk it, but you want to sell it. So a, a wine, intrins- its intrinsic value is based on its saleability at that stage. So, And if there's no known yeah. sales history or supporters of that wine, it's kind of valued at its lowest retail price, which is... Um, about it's less forty percent on what you paid for it, so just just bear that in mind, people. It's like, so if you've got a wine that you might love, and it might be that wine from your Heathcote trip or, or, or whatever that nobody's ever heard of, the the price of the wine with no sales history or no auction value is actually forty percent less than what you paid for it. So that that's worthwhile just knowing. Um, and then you know factors yeah, that yeah. factors that affect. Factors that affect, you know, auctioning wine. So when you take a wine to a, an auction, so there's a, a, it costs you for them to evaluate, and so there's a, a seller's cost, but then there's a buyer's premium as well. So it works both ways. So provided you've kept the bottle and it's got great provenance, and you've got, you can um, account for where it's been stored. Yeah, yeah. yeah lab- label purity is one of the things that it cork. Um, uh, well, you've been there, done that. So, yeah. yeah. So, what what are you looking for in a wine that's going to get an auction? Ah, uh, what are we looking for? So, the, obviously, the the saleability of it comes down to um, the um, history of it. So, something like Tabilk Marsan, for instance, huge saleability because it's been around for a while, and there's a there's a large number of people who want to drink it. Whereas that Lethbridge Gamay. Low saleability because a lot, not many people drink Gamay, and maybe not as many of them know. Not many people know of Lethbridge either. So, um, as you pointed out, products that have uh, high recognition, and we might be able to judge that on our hottest one hundred wines of um, the year. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> we do that later in the year. Um, but there's that, and then you're looking to evaluate. So, if you got for instance, Grange 1988, which is a high-value, high-demand vintage and product. How do you differentiate three different bottles of that? Well, the first one you might be looking at something like. The very first thing you look at is the ullage. And so the ullage might be how much wine has uh, left the bottle in some way. So it might have seeped through the, the cork or... or there's there's lots of very weird ways wine can leave a bottle, but effectively the allage is the gap between the cork and the wine itself, and that can vary. Uh, there will be variation to that over time, particularly under cork. And so those with less allage and higher up are usually considered to have better corks, better stabilisation of that wine, and therefore better quality wine within the bottle, and therefore less ullage is better. If it's very low, then it's seeped through the cork somehow to a higher degree, and there's a problem, um, you know. Uh, so ullage, to determine, try and determine the quality of the wine. You look at the cork to also check that just to, to help check on the quality of the wine if you can otherwise you're just looking at the capsule and seeing that there's no seepages or any issues with the capsule um, 
and then also presentation of the bottle itself is the label clean spick and span or has it been scratched and scuffed and you know has it had the vintage rubbed off it as i've seen um if if, if a couple of bottles just because of wear and tear so the more pristine a bottle is the more value it has and then you start working way down if the ullage is bad if the label is bad you know the selling conditions have probably been bad less value to that so you might wind up having a bottle that you could sell for a thousand dollars but because the allergy is bad and the label is bad a, a real diehard collector might pay 300 for it you know you can have that sort of variation and and some of you might be thinking who's selling their wine why would you want to sell your wine or why would you want to get rid of your seller there's actually a number of reasons you might come to sell your wine uh, the, the, the biggest one is probably you, your palate's change, and so you've got wines that you no longer enjoy. Yep, so that's very, you know, very common, actually. Very, very common. So you've started collecting wine 10, 15 years ago, and you really, really love Shiraz. But yep. now, um, to use your example again, you've, you've gone to Geelong or the Bellarine Peninsula, and you've discovered Ray at Lethbridge or, or, you know, buy far wines down there and you've discovered Pinot and you've started buying, um, you know, a, a poultice of Pinot for want of a better term. And so that's, that's actually just, that's a really interesting point because um, that is very common that people start off buying a, a lot of Shiraz or a lot of, less so a lot of Cabernet, but they're buying those sorts of grape varietals. And then as they get older, they're like, I I prefer Pinot, I prefer Champagne, I prefer Riesling, I prefer something else. And it's strange. I don't know whether or not that's completely biological and over time that's just how the palate matures and you, you pick up different tastes as you get older and you, you are less interested in those robust wines as to this, um, the more nuanced wines or whether or not it's... Um, uh, people just tiring of the taste and looking for something different. That's interesting. And the the other reason would be uh, a financial motivation, and the yeah. other reason, uh, the the third and probably the the final reason would be it, it, it's wine you've come across. You know, like you, you've uh, it's been your your father's cellar, um, you know, your mother your mother's cellar, and, and you've you've inherited the wine, and you might only drink riesling, and this is a Seller for the cabinet or whatever. So there's a few yeah. reasons that you might wish to uh, sell your wines, uh, and generally, what happens um, with estate sellers and things like that, they're normally more than those heavier varieties styles of wines, and they're often from smaller producers. There's not often ones. Uh, I mean, we look as you know, we we, we look at sellers regularly. Um, and more often than not, they're a collection of smaller producers rather than those big wines. You know, you mentioned Grange earlier or wines that have um, great, great provenance. They're wines that people personally have fallen in love with. Um, but, yeah, that that is what your cell is worth, ladies and gentlemen. And, um, you know, if anyone does <laughs> want any real out. help. Yeah, there's not a set number. It depends on what you've got. Ask Luke Campbell for help. Yes. There you go. Look us up at vinifier.com.au. Uh, perfect segue into uh, the final part of this episode. Thank you, Luke Morris. What have you been drinking, my friend? 
Um, I've actually been drinking water and things. I'm training for a half marathon, and uh, uh, so this past week I haven't. Oh, actually, uh, I um I had a big day yesterday. I decided to um, where I work, I, I earn, earn a commission um, if I hit a sales target, and I hit sales target quite early um, this month. And I was just thinking, I wonder what else I can do. And so um, yesterday, I, I all, all the wine I sold. I donated to charity. Uh, the 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 sales commission I would have got for that sale, I, I donated to um, Beyond Blue, and um, I had a, a a huge response from customers um, from from that. And at the end of the day, I thought, well, that was a busy day. I think I've done some good. I'll you know treat myself with a glass of Dalit type Riesling. Ooh. 2018 Dalatite Riesling from Mansfield. Beautiful wine. Um, cheap, like the budgie, but uh, <laughs> really nice. Enjoyable stuff. How about you? Mate, I, um, and I haven't done it in ages. I had a glass of Chianti over the weekend, and it just, oh, really, yeah. just really rocked my boat like I, I just i should drink more of it it's got so chianti for those listeners who don't know is, is generally sangiovese and it might have some a couple of other minor things blended in it but this um yeah this sangiovese it was actually the brand Kaya, a traditional producer um from tuscany and yeah it was just it just over delivered wait wait for age bang for buck it was a, it was a chianti classico so it was um you know like uh, must have been a step up the, the chain, so to speak. Um, but it was just, yeah, all that kind of vine ripe and tomato and vegetable. Classico, because we talked yep. about this, I think that's the uh, the classic region of Chianti, not yeah, the, the, uh, the internal region. region. Yeah, but utterly delicious and super super juicy. Um, yeah, the the brand Cryer Chianti Classico Reserve is just absolutely outstanding. But hey. Um, looking at the time, we, we need to wrap this show up. So um, what do we say? We say good afternoon, good evening, good night. No, good I already night. said that. Good night. But thank you very much to the listening audience. I've been Luke Campbell. You can find me on the socials at vinified underscore wine underscore services. He's been Luke Morris. Where can we find you, Luke Morris? Uh, Luke Morris, ha, you can track me down on there and um, uh, follow my running progress. I'm going to do some updates on that with uh, my runs. Good on you, mate. And um, thanks again. And in the fine words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au